0: Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, we're going to be going through verses 1 to 11. This is really the, the beginning of the series on the book of Acts. Last week we went through an overview of the book of Acts. We saw that, that the main idea of the book of Acts is that God's plan continues unhindered. God's plan just continues unhindered, and so today we're going to be seeing how God's plan is carried out through the person of Jesus Christ by the empowering of the Holy Spirit as his people live for his return. So turn in the book of Acts to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Let's read God's holy inspired word together. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, Which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my own authority. Oh, sorry, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for this book of Acts. Thank you for inspiring Luke by your Holy Spirit to write this divine history of you continuing your plan unhindered in your church. Father, thank you that the book of Acts helps us see you at work. Father, I pray that you would give us a thirst and a desire for your Spirit. God, I pray that you would give us a longing for more of you. God, I pray that as we see you at work in the book of Acts, we would would begin to long even more for you to be at work in our lives and to empower us to be your witnesses by your Holy Spirit. God, I pray for the gift of your Spirit. God, I pray for the gift of the Spirit to fill us afresh. Pray for your Spirit to enable me to speak and enable everyone here to hear your words. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, have you ever had a time where maybe you were confronted with what you were living for. Maybe it was a time when you faced the end of your life and it kind of made you wake up and live differently. Or maybe it was when you came to the place where you realized that what you were living for was not the right thing and you were really going down the wrong path. I had a, a similar experience when I was probably 19 years old and I was reaching for a bottle of alcohol first thing in the morning and it wasn't rubbing alcohol. Um, I, I, was, I was still hungover from the night before and was going to pursue more drinking because, you know, the, the hair of the dog that bit you, you know, is the, the old adage. and And so as I was going for alcohol, God stopped me and said, What are you doing? What are you doing? And it was that moment of clarity where the Lord spoke. He intervened, and I realized what I was pursuing, what I was living for, what I was seeking after, what I was looking for 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 empowering was not God, but all the wrong things. And, and God really used that from that time onwards to help me grow in him and to turn from living for myself and to turn to living for him. I, I knew the truth of God, but I wasn't living for God. I was coasting through life. I was living for myself and I needed a jolt to stop me. And, and God in his mercy, God in his kindness stopped me. Now, I didn't hear an audible voice, but it was almost as jolting to me. As I was kind of groggily getting up in this, I'm going to go for a beer. And then, what are you doing? And it was like out of the blue, like, whoa, okay, God is speaking here. And he convicted me. And I knew that I need to repent and I need to turn. And I, and I knew that I needed to live for him. The book of Acts, I don't know if you've gotten to read through the book of Acts over the last week or two. If you have not gotten to do that, I would encourage you to take some time, about two, two and a half hours aside set it aside and read through the entire book in one setting. The book of Acts, it, it functions like a jolt. It functions as, as an arresting jolt to our senses saying, stop, what are you, what are you living for? Whose power are you living by? Are, are you aware that God's plan is continuing and that God's calling you and I to be a part of his plan and that this has always been the case since the very beginning in the early church. The book of Acts challenges us about what we're living for. It challenges us about where our trust, where our confidence, where our hope is. What are we looking for to empower, to enable us to live this life? And if you read the book of Acts, and you you read it honestly, it will challenge your sensibilities. It will challenge the status quo of of normal Christian life. And you will realize that, wait a minute, am I living in such a way that I'm expecting the Holy Spirit to be at work in and through me? Am I I living in a way that I'm living for the mission of Jesus Christ, relying on the empowering of the Holy Spirit? Am I? And it challenges our daily lives. It challenges us to evaluate what we're living for. It spurs us on to, to want the Holy Spirit's power that we see in the pages of Acts. And I believe this, this to be the effect that the book of Acts has had. And, and really all throughout church history from the very beginning in the early centuries, all throughout when saints have rediscovered, if you will, the book of Acts, it's had that dramatic effect It's had the effect of stirring renewed passion for God's plan. It's had the effect of of stirring renewed passion for the mission that God has called all of us to. And it's had the effect of stirring people to desire to be empowered by His Holy Spirit. And, And I pray that that would be the effect for all of us as we are going through the book of Acts as a church. The book of Acts, it's not just mere history, although it is history. It is a a theological history. Luke has an intent in what he is writing and why he's sharing the stories he does. The stories are all accurate, but he selects stories because he wants to communicate something. He wants us to see something. He wants us to carry something away. The book of Acts, it's alive with mission. I think you'll find as you turn every page in the book of Acts, it's just every page of the book of Acts is alive with the mission that he's called us to as disciples. I love that the timing of we're going through on Wednesday nights. What does it mean? What does it look like to live on mission? Can't think of better timing to be going through the book of Acts together as we see what did it look like for the early church to live on mission? What was the mission they were called to? What's the mission that we are called to? The book of Acts is filled with power and it it makes us examine our doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And I hope that it challenges all of us to examine what do we believe about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit? I think the challenge from Dr. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones is very helpful here. I want to share a quote with you from his book entitled Revival. He's no longer with us, but he he has much wisdom. Referring to the, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit found in the book of Acts, he says, Examine your doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and in the name of God, be careful lest in your neat and trimmed doctrine... You are excluding and putting out this most remarkable thing which God does periodically through the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read that again. Examine your doctrine of the Holy Spirit in the name of God. Be careful lest in your neat and trimmed doctrine you are excluding and putting out this most remarkable thing which God does periodically through the Holy Spirit. And what does he do? In sending him upon us in visiting, in baptizing us, in reviving the whole church in a miraculous and astonishing manner. Church, I think this challenge is for us today as well. We need to examine our doctrine of the Holy Spirit and, and need to be careful that lesson on our, our neat and trimmed doctrine we exclude and put out the most remarkable thing that God does periodically, which is He sends us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I I believe we're meant to anticipate that. I believe we're meant to long for that, to look for that, to rely on the empowering of the Holy Spirit. If, If we want not only this church, but the church to experience a revival, what is necessary, what is needful for us is the Holy Spirit coming on us in power. The book of Acts, it's full of the Holy Spirit. As we examine this doctrine of the Holy Spirit this morning, it's meant to stir up a desire for more of an empowering of the Holy Spirit. We can see that Jesus is expanding his church all throughout the book of Acts. And how does he expand his church? He does, he does that primarily through the empowering and enabling of his spirit against all opposition. That's how, as a Christian, you're going to be able to withstand all the attacks of the evil one, as we heard about in Ephesians a few weeks ago. It says he enables and empowers us by his spirit against all opposition. And and he works in and through us. In the first 11 verses of Acts, there's a main idea that we're going to see in this first 11 verses. And really that main idea is that Jesus calls his disciples to be his witnesses. Jesus calls his disciples to be his witnesses empowered by the spirit and living for his return. Jesus calls his disciples to be his witnesses, empowered by his spirit and living for his return. And and before we move on, I want to ask you, I want to ask myself the same question too. Are we, are we hearing the call of Jesus to to be his witnesses? What are we doing with that call? Are we living for that call? And, And are we seeking to be empowered by the spirit? And are we doing that? Living as witnesses. Seeking to be empowered by the Spirit. Are we doing that knowing and living for his return? There's four things that we're going to see in these verses that all relate to this main idea. We can see in the first three verses that, that Jesus is alive. As we mentioned last week, in Acts, the resurrected Christ is, is central to the message of the gospel. And so in the first three verses, we can expect that that Luke would start that way. He would start with an emphasis on the fact that Jesus is alive and continues to work through the Holy Spirit. They let us know the disciples of Jesus can be confident he's alive. The second point we're going to look at is that his disciples need the empowering of the Holy Spirit for their mission. His disciples need the empowering of the Holy Spirit for their mission. You and I, we need the empowering of the Holy Spirit for the mission that God is calling us to. The third thing we're going to see is that His disciples should not focus on how the end will happen. And we're going to look at that in reverse order, actually. In verses 6 and 7 is where they come in the text. We're We're going to move that down to the end. It's going to be actually our fourth point. But His disciples... Shouldn't focus on how the end will happen. They shouldn't get caught up in in focusing on all the details of how and when will these end times happen and when is that going to take place? Jesus says, no, you missed the point. I'm calling you to a mission and you're to live in light of my return, but it's not for you to know the details. And then the last, one of the last things we're going to see really, our third point, is that his disciples are meant to be on mission knowing he will return. We're meant to be on mission knowing he will return. First thing we're going to see in verses one through three that we touched on last week in an introduction to the book, it's really that Jesus is alive, that He continues to work through the Holy Spirit. And I think sometimes we grow really kind of dull to the idea that Jesus is alive. Jesus is a resurrected Messiah. He's a resurrected, anointed one. He, he is no longer dead. The same spirit that lived in Christ. Jesus lives now in us, who have been born again, who've been made alive to him. And the fact that he's alive and continues to work through the Holy Spirit is essential to our understanding of where our trust is, where our hope is. It's essential to our mission knowing that he is alive and he continues to work through the Holy Spirit. In verse 1, he says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. You notice he says, Began. And the implication there in Luke. He's saying that in the first book, it was what Jesus began to do and teach. Now in this book, the implication is that this is what Jesus continues to do and teach. This is how Jesus is going to continue. And so the gospel of Luke tells us of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And now the second part of his two-part history tells us in the book of Acts about the continuing work of Jesus Christ as he expands his church through the empowering of the Spirit. It tells us how God's plan continues unhindered. In the very first chapter, in this very first verse, we have the continuing work of Jesus. Jesus, Luke had written that he began to do and teach. And now he's writing a continuing work of Jesus. And then it says look down your Bibles if you will it says that he presented himself alive to them. Is Jesus alive to you? Whether you realize it or not, we have a risen Lord. He says He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. They were sure that they had seen the risen Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus said He would. He would die and rise again. And this is critical for us to keep in mind as we wake up each morning, because sometimes we can forget that we we serve a risen Lord. We serve Jesus who is alive and he is above all things and he is continuing to be alive not just distantly but he's continuing to be alive in each and every one of us through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we live as if Jesus isn't really alive. We live with a faith that lacks life. We need to know he's not dead. Don't live like your savior is dead. He's alive and that should inspire us. That should excite us. Now look at verse 2. Luke very quickly he alludes to their mission. Look down your Bibles in verse 2. And if you don't have a Bible with you I'd encourage you to look on with somebody beside you. And if you know somebody beside you doesn't have one say hey would you like to, to share? We're going to be periodically looking down in our Bibles together. I want us to be people who are grounded in the Word and know where God's Word says what it says. So in verse 2 it says until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So in this second verse so in the first verse, Luke is saying Jesus is alive. In the second verse, Jesus is saying we have a mission. He refers back to the commands that Jesus gave us through the Holy Spirit to the apostles. And what were those last commands in order to do that? We had to put Luke and Acts back to back where they originally were. And so flip over in your Bibles to Luke 24. I think we might have this one on the overheads actually. Yeah, we do. Luke 24, 46. The very last thing that we see in the book of Luke. And Luke is recording what Jesus said. And he says, Jesus said to them, Thus it is written, that Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. What is Jesus telling them? What is he commanding them? He's saying that They're going to proclaim in his name the forgiveness of repentance and forgiveness of sins. That they're going to be witnesses that he's sending the promise of the Father. And then he says, but you're to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. You see the commands that Jesus had given to him that that Luke's referring to in Acts. He's looking back to the end of of Luke and he's saying, you're to be witnesses of these things. And he says something he probably didn't expect. After he says, you're witnesses of these things, he says something. He says, behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you were to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So wait a minute. Weren't, weren't the disciples taught by Jesus? Hadn't they already seen Jesus? Hadn't they already been sent out by Jesus to do his work, to preach the good news, to preach repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Hadn't they already gone out and, and actually done miracles in his name? Hadn't hadn't they already been filled with the Spirit? Hadn't they gone out and cast out demons in his name? Why now did they need the promise of the Father? Why does Jesus tell them now after they had already gone out and come back? They were already born again. They were already made alive. They were already filled with the Spirit. Why does he tell them now they need the promise of the Father? I think it's important that we understand what Luke is referring to here. And and as we are looking through the book of Acts, let's first start like good principles of of biblical interpretation and start with the author of this book, Luke, to interpret Luke. So we we interpret the book of Acts with not only the book of Luke, but with other verses in the book of Acts. And so it's important to see what does Luke mean when he says, Jesus is sending the promise of the Father, what does he mean when he says that they'd be clothed with power from on high? Well, let's go back to Acts. Look, look back in Acts, the second part of the story. It explains what Jesus is talking about in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. If you look down in your Bibles, Luke gives us a retelling of the same account. So this is a retelling of the end of the book of Luke. And it parallels it, but he puts it in different order. And he says in verse 4 to 5, "...and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem." But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, "You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now." You see, Luke's wanting the reader here to see something. He wants the reader to see what, what really is our second point here, and is that his disciples need the empowering of the Holy Spirit. They need the empowering of the Holy Spirit for their mission. The disciples need the empowering of the Holy Spirit for their mission. Now, it's not just meant for us to look back in time and see that those disciples in that day needed the empowering of the Holy Spirit for their mission. You know, see, Luke is writing with a theological intent. He wants us to see as well that we today, his readers, throughout all generations, we need the empowering of the Holy Spirit for mission. Church, we need the empowering of the Holy Spirit for our mission so here in the book of Acts, we have some of the same components in the commands of Jesus, just listed in different order from what we saw in the book of Luke. In Luke, he said, you are witnesses. I'm sending forth the promise. So witnesses, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power. Notice that language there. You're my witnesses. I'm sending forth the promise of my Father. Stay in the city till you're clothed with power from on high. Now here in this verse, in verses 4 to 5, he doesn't say depart from Jerusalem. He says, wait there for what? The promise of the Father. And then he explains here what the promise of the Father is that they heard from him in Luke 24. Luke 24 was, and he says, You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So already Luke's beginning to show two different uses of the word for the same thing that Jesus is promising. Jesus promised they'd be clothed with power from on high. The promise of the Father, they'd be clothed with power. Now in Acts 1, 4-5, he says, You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit the promise of the Father is baptism of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Father is being clothed with the Holy Spirit. So Luke uses two metaphors for the same outpouring of the Holy Spirit that I wait for, to be clothed, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, look in your Bibles, if you will, with me, and skip down to verse 8 for a moment. Skip down to verse 8. We're going to come back to verses 6 and 7 later. He says, um, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So Jesus is continuing what he just said in, in verse 4. And five, and he says, but you will receive power. So what's the effect of this clothing with, this being baptized with the Holy Spirit, is that you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And he says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Just like at the end of, chap- of Luke chapter 24, when he says, starting from Jerusalem. And the implication there is not just ending in Jerusalem, but starting from Jerusalem. And now in Acts he tells us from Jerusalem and, and Judea and Samaria unto the ends of the earth. So the point in really the first eight verses of Acts, one of the one of the main themes is to show the apostles, the disciples, needed to be empowered by the Holy Spirit for their mission of being witnesses of Jesus. And this is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning because it's central to this passage and it's important for us as we consider what does it look like to live out the Christian life? What does it look like to live out the mission that Jesus has called us to to be his witnesses because this is not ended yet. You see, he says we're to carry out his mission from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And that has not yet happened. And so we're to continue to carry out that work that the original disciples were called to. And we can see that in several places in the New Testament. In Matthew, in the book of Matthew, when it tells us the Great Commission. he says, Go into all the world and, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And, and lo, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. How is He with us? He's with us through the Holy Spirit to the end of the age. Now, why is it important? Why is it important to see that we need the empowering of the Holy Spirit? Because there's very good reason to believe that the apostles had already received the Holy Spirit. In fact, we have several scriptures that relate to that. Not only do we see that they're, they're casting out demons, they're healing the sick, they're preaching the gospel with power, people are coming to life. Um, but several places, not just, not just are they working and carrying out the work of Jesus, and they empowered to do that previously. But look in John 13.10. We have several verses here for you it shows they've already been born they've already been made clean they've already been converted they've already received the holy spirit so in in john 13 10 jesus said to his disciples the one who is bathed speaking to peter directly does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean and listen to what he tells peter he says and you are clean speaking to peter and disciples he's but not every one of you referring to judas Again in John 15:3, Jesus said, "Are you already you are clean? Because of the word that I have spoken to you, and, and there's only one way that his disciples can be cleansed. They could be made clean. It's by receiving the righteousness of Jesus Christ, by receiving the cleansing power of God, where He washes away all of our sins. And then we see later they'd received the Holy Spirit before Pentecost as well. And look in John 2022, 20, it says, to the very bottom of the screen here, if you can read it, it says, "And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, "Receive the Holy Spirit." Why is that important to see? Well, it's important to see the disciples were already converted and had already been cleaned, had already received the Holy Spirit. So what is this baptism that he's talking about here in Luke? Is it the same as the baptism that Paul mentions once in Corinthians? Well, I I don't think so. You You see, Luke refers to baptism or filling synonymously about nine different times. Paul, in context, refers to it once, and he does that in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. And when Paul refers to conversion, he speaks of, he says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of the one Spirit. So there in Corinthians, in that context, the baptism of the Holy Spirit actually comes when, when you're converted. And that's what we would believe as a church as well. Now, if you find that you are differing in some of these areas, you are welcome in our church. We, we want to embrace you. We count you as brothers and sisters in our church. We we'll believe that Scripture, when, when it's talking about baptism of the Spirit, it uses that language differently in different places. And so in Corinthians, it refers to the baptism of the Spirit to be the original filling of the Spirit when we're made alive in Him. And so when we are made born again, we're filled with the Spirit. We are baptized in the Spirit. But in Luke, that's not what he's talking about. That's, if you read Luke in context, both in Luke and the book of Acts, Luke is talking about a feeling that comes post-conversion. And it does that all throughout the book of Acts. And we believe that in the context, Luke is not talking about this initial receiving of the Spirit, of conversion. See, in Acts 1 and 2, the conversion of the disciples, it's nowhere found in the context. It's not what Luke is talking about. They're already living with much joy. They're going to the temple. They're worshiping. They're filled with joy. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus has already breathed on them. They've been made clean. He doesn't say, wait until you're clothed with power because that's when you're going to be made part of my body. He doesn't say, that's when you're going to be made alive. You have to wait because you're not really alive yet. You don't know that, but you're not Christians yet. He doesn't say those things. It would have been important to say those things if that was the case. But he said, wait until you're clothed with power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you when you're baptized. So so what is this baptism in the Holy Spirit? What is This being clothed with the Holy Spirit, as it said in Luke. Now, it's important to see that those are synonymous terms there. That they were going to receive not many days from now. Well, let's skip down to Acts 2. We're going to look at the broader context. We want to be good Bereans here. So, where Luke tells us Peter explained what it was they had received. So Jesus told them at the end of Luke, in the beginning of Acts, he told them what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. You're going to receive him. You're going to be clothed with power. You're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so in Luke, and Acts 2, we see the fulfillment of that coming of the Holy Spirit. And Peter, he gets up and he explains what just happened because people were confused. People were confused because they thought they were drunk. They thought something weird was happening. So Peter gets up And he explains what they had received. You see, the Holy Spirit had come in with a, it says, with a violent, rushing wind. And Luke tells us in verse 4 of chapter 2, he says, And they were all filled. So wait a minute, look look at the different words we have there for the same occurrence. So in Luke 24, it says, You'll be clothed, referring to what happens in Acts 2. In Acts 1, he says, You'll be baptized. And now here in Acts 2, 4, it says, They were all filled. So we see we have different words being used for this, this filling of the Holy Spirit. He says they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And, and what did this promise of the Father result in? It resulted in them speaking. It resulted in them speaking and telling of the mighty acts of God, the mighty deeds of God. As they were filled with the Spirit, it enabled them to speak Prophetically. And tell of the great deeds of God. So, did you notice that he's referring to all these things? This, 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 this act as being clothed, as being baptized, as being filled. And this word he uses to describe the receiving of the promise of the Father, this empowering of the Spirit by the Father with the witnesses in, in Acts 2, when it actually comes, it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the result of the feeling is that they were all empowered. To speak mighty things of God in a supernatural way. And this isn't the last time the apostles were filled. How do we know that this isn't just a once and done? Well, look in the rest of the book of Acts with me. We're going to look at just a few examples of it. In Acts 4.8. I don't know which ones we have up, which ones we don't have up. We don't have Acts 4.8 up there. So you can look, turn your Bibles if you want to. Acts 4.8. We see that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does he do? He's filled with the Holy Spirit Again. And he testifies, he, does, he testifies so powerfully that the religious leaders, they are amazed that such an uneducated man could speak like this. So the feeling of the Holy Spirit was, was what empowered Peter to be able to speak in a way that they couldn't refute him. And they said, oh my goodness, aren't these just fishermen? Aren't these like men from Galilee? Aren't these uneducated guys? But the empowering of the Holy Spirit enabled him to speak, to be witnesses, to carry out the mission that God had called them to. And look in Acts 4.31, it says, And Peter and John were released from prison, and and they prayed together with the disciples. And so it says, as they were praying in Acts 4.31, And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak the word of God with boldness. They were filled with the Spirit they began to speak the word of God with boldness. And then we see again in Acts 6.5, it says, They chose Stephen... A man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit. So in Acts 6, 8, and 10, it says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs amongst the people, but they were unable to cope, in verse 10, with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. The spirit, he was full of the spirit, and the spirit enabled him to speak. And they couldn't cope with it. They didn't know how to handle his message. They they couldn't say anything against it. I just love that picture of the, the Holy Spirit filling his disciples and enabling them to be his witnesses, enabling them to carry out the mission he called them to. And then in Acts 11, 24, it's referring to Barnabas. And look in Acts eleven twenty four, 24, and he says, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, speaking of Barnabas, he says, in considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. What's the result of the fact that Barnabas was a man who was full of the Holy Spirit? It says considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And then in Acts 13, we see a little more unusual circumstance of being filled with the Spirit. see, Paul in Acts 9 had already been initially baptized in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and became born again. And then we see again a second instance of Paul. It says, filled in Acts 13, 9 to 12. Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him. He's, he's, He's addressing a magician, Elimas, who was causing... Problems. He was a false prophet. So he says, Paul filled the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him, and said, you who are full of all deceit and fraud. Wouldn't you love to hear that? You son of the devil. <laughs> you enemy of righteousness. Paul is piling up some insults here. He says, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time, and immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand, and here's the result of this filling of the Holy Spirit and this dramatic work of the Spirit. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, but here's what he was amazed at. He wasn't amazed at what had happened. It says, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. So the Holy Spirit fills his disciples with power, to proclaim Jesus' name. To be witnesses. To carry out the mission he's called them to. Paul was filled with the spirit and stared until Elimas went blind. And the procons believed, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Now go back to Acts chapter, chapter 2. As a result of the filling they were able to speak prophetically in other languages they didn't know. So that all around them heard them speaking what it says. It says mighty deeds of God. And then in verse 14 of chapter 2 Peter stood up and he explains they're not drunk and he says what this is is filling with the spirit he says in verse 16. Now let's look at verse 16 to 18 of Acts chapter 2. Peter is explaining again what we are unpacking in the first 11 verses of Acts. Peter is explaining what has happened that we are anticipating in the beginning of Acts in Acts chapter 1. So in Acts chapter 2 Peter explains it again. Not only is this a filling of the Holy Spirit, but he says, chapter 2, 16, uh, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, Acts two sixteen. I think it's up there is Joel, but it, it's really Acts two sixteen. Apologize for the reference. He says, but this what was spoken of through the prophet Joel, and it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will what? He says that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. Do you notice this is Not limited. This is not saying just the original disciples. He says it will be in the last days that I'll pour forth my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they will prophesy. It's interesting that Peter chose this passage. He chose the passage in Joel to interpret and explain what was happening to them. It's important for us to see because he could have chosen a lot of different passages in the Old Testament. He could have chosen passages from Isaiah or from Ezekiel where it talks about the Holy Spirit coming in the last days for conversion. But Peter doesn't do that. He doesn't say, let me explain to you what's happening. These, we're, these people are being converted and this is the coming of the Holy Spirit for conversion. He doesn't say that. He says, no, this is the coming of the Holy Spirit on God's people to empower them to prophesy, to speak of God." And so he quotes Joel uh, 2, 28 to 29. And in Joel, the the Holy Spirit comes to enable God's people to prophesy. It's not a promise of a new birth, but of a new power to prophesy, to see visions, to dream dreams, to be witnesses of God. So now let's go back to Acts chapter 1 again. We've done some background study. We let Luke interpret Luke So go back to Acts 1. They needed to receive the power from on high. They needed to be clothed with or baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says in verse 8, look in Acts 1.8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. They needed the Holy Spirit in order to be his witnesses. And if the apostles and disciples who were already born again, they were already born had breathed, the Holy Spirit was breathed on them. They, they'd already received the Holy Spirit. If they needed the Holy Spirit to be Jesus's witnesses, then don't we, don't we need the filling of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth? The implication for us today is to see that if the apostles who walked and talked with Jesus were personally discipled by Jesus, if they need to be filled, we need to be empowered for witness too. For to be witnesses of Jesus, we need to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, clothed with the Holy Spirit, baptized with the Holy Spirit if we're going to be effective on our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We need to be a church that's not relying on our own power. You see, we, we don't sustain ourselves as Christians, we, God gives us His Spirit to sustain us. He gives the Spirit to enable us. He gives the Spirit to empower us to to know what to speak. So look in in verse 6 and 7. There's some dangers that we'll see too, though. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be effective on mission. But there are a couple dangers in these verses that that Jesus is drawing our attention to. So look in in verse 6 and 7. He says, so when... They had come together. They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons. The Father is fixed by his authority. Why in the world did they come to him? You ever think about that? Jesus is just saying, you're going you're to receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. You're going to be clothed with power from on high. And they said, well, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Well, the disciples weren't being dumb here. Jesus gently corrects them because they probably remember passages in the Old Testament where it talks about the giving of the Spirit ushering in a new age when God restores all things. And so they ask Jesus this question about what the end times are and when they're going to happen. We see Jesus telling them it's not for them to know the times or seasons. So what, what's the point here for Luke's readers in the book of Acts? Well, I think the third point that we're going to draw attention to is that his disciples shouldn't focus on how the end will happen. His disciples shouldn't focus on how the end will happen. Growing up, I don't know if you, you experienced this or not, but growing up I read all kinds of books about the end times. I think the 70s were just fraught with tons of bad books on the end times. Most of them weren't helpful, most of them probably weren't very biblical, but the effect was that I spent a whole lot of time wondering in the 70s and 80s, when would the end times come? When would Jesus return? Oh no. And spent more time probably looking at that than saying, how do I live for Jesus? And apparently there was a lot of focus on the end times by a lot of leaders. And, and I think that, that there's still this tendency in the church today to have a focus on the end times and trying to figure out when the end would come. I remember in 1975 there was a book called Prophecy 1975. And that was the, the prediction that Jesus would return in 1975. And then there were predictions again by others the return of Christ would come in 1982 and there's this big book that flooded Christianity. And then there was this book that by then I I finally learned that I, I was no longer interested in books like that. I remember laughing at the title and it was 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. Obviously those 88 reasons were all wrong. Harold Camping. He thought Christ's return would happen in 1994. Jerry Falwell predicted in 99 the second coming would be within 10 years. Those 10 years have passed. Many thought Jesus would come by year 2000. If you remember the hysteria around the year 2000, it was this magical time when, oh no, the end is coming. Not only our computers will all die, but we're all gonna be raptured at the same time. When that clock ticks over, something massive is gonna happen. And, and none of that happened. Harold Camping, the same guy who got it wrong in, 2000, in, in 1994. He tried again in 2011. He says the end's going to come by October 21st of that year. It's a very specific date. It was very specifically wrong there's a the false prophet, Jack Van Impey. He's, he's prophesied countless times. The end would come until he finally gave up his last false prediction in 2012 when it didn't happen. I think the guy predicted it like 10 or 11 times when Jesus returned. Now he's just, well, it's, it's imminent. Well, good, I'm glad you learned your lesson after the first 12 times. All of this shows that, that wanting to know when Jesus will restore all things is not just something people in the first century were fixated on were focused on, were looking forward to there's a natural desire in each and every one of us to know when's the end times going to happen, how's that going to happen, what's that going to look like and so God knows that, he knew that back then and so he addressed it early on the disciples, they, they were tempted to be fixated on the wrong thing and to focus on how the end will happen instead of living in light of the fact that it will return, that he will return the first disciples, they knew the outpouring of spirit would be assigned to the last days. In Ezekiel twenty nine, I mean thirty-nine, twenty-five, it says, Now I'll restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel and be jealous for my holy name. And then in verse twenty-nine of Ezekiel thirty-nine he says, I will not hide my face from them any longer, for I, I will have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, declares the Lord. So the disciples here are actually asking a viable question, but they got it wrong. They were trying to figure out the timing of the last days, and so Jesus gently corrects them. He gently corrects them. He says, look, don't don't get tied up trying to figure out when it's going to happen. The times, the seasons. Instead, what he's telling them is he's redirecting them. He says, no, no, you you missed it. You need the Holy Spirit to empower you for the mission I'm sending you on. Don't get distracted from your mission by trying to figure out when the end times are going to happen and what they're going to look like. He says, instead, focus on the mission I'm calling you to. He doesn't dismiss it. He doesn't say the kingdom won't be restored but he does tell them don't try to figure out the timing of these things. It's not where your focus should be. It's not, it's not your business is essentially what he's saying. It's none of your business. It's not for you to know these things. It's not good for them to try to figure out the times and seasons that he's fixed by his own authority but, he, but he's still reassuring them at the same time and he's reassuring us too that we can be sure that yes, he will one day restore the kingdom. But here's the deal. We don't have to worry about when and how because why? He has a time that he has fixed by the Father's authority. He has fixed a time and he'll return. And we can rest in that and then be about our mission. Not being distracted from our mission. So we shouldn't be tied up today trying to figure out when the end times and the seasons are. So if you see somebody releasing a, a new latest greatest book or if Jack Van Empi tries again for the 13th time, you probably should ignore it. Instead, let's focus on what is Jesus calling us to do? How is he calling us to live? He's calling us to live as his witnesses, empowered by his spirit, working until he returns, on mission until he returns. So what does he say? Look down your Bibles. It says, but you shall receive power when? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for his disciples to receive power and be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. This filling of the Holy Spirit, this, this clothing of the Holy Spirit, is that his disciples will receive power to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And, and the disciples of Jesus, both in that day and now in our day, we need to be careful not to miss the main mission of being his witnesses and be caught up with trying to figure out the end times and then. If you look down in verses 9 to 11, there's one more gentle correction here. There's another subtle correction to the temptation that the disciples of Jesus Christ face. They're tempted to stand there looking into heaven. I love this picture that we see. Is Jesus is raised up. And by the way, he's, he's raised up in a cloud. And the picture there is a kind of a cloud enveloping him from below and carrying him up. And it's kind of the same imagery of God's presence come down just like in in the Old Testament when the presence of God came down in a cloud and manifested itself to the people of Israel. And so God's manifest presence is there and God takes him up into heaven through his manifest presence showing that he's going to be with God. And so they're standing there and they're staring up into heaven. And they must have been standing there for a while. I'm guessing they're all hanging out there and they're like Jesus is going up and then oh, where'd he go? Uh, I can't. is that him? Uh, no, it's a bird. And they're standing there staring up into heaven and they're looking and they're just kind of staring there. Now I can kind of get that temptation to want to just stand there and wait, to just want to stand up and look, to just, not to do anything, to just look up and say, well, well Jesus, you're, you're going to come back? And so look in verse nine, it says, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took them out of their sight. And then verses 10 to 11, he says, and while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And I can just imagine this, they're all staring up. And then two, two angels are in white robes staring up and going, what, what, are you, what are you doing? And so they gently said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And what's, what's the thing that Luke is showing his readers here? I think the, the fourth thing we're going to look at Luke's gently showing his readers that his disciples are meant to be on mission knowing he'll return. They're not meant to be staring up into heaven. They're not meant to just be waiting for Jesus to return idly standing by. We have have a real graphic picture there. His disciples are standing there looking up at heaven and the the angels are like, no, don't stand here. He's up there. Now, he gave you a mission. Now go and carry out the mission that he's called you to. There's a subtle correction here. These angels are basically saying, don't just stand there, you need to go and be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back the same way he left. For us, we need to anticipate Christ's return, but that does not look like standing idly by. As we anticipate Christ's return, it doesn't look like just saying, oh Lord, when will you come back? Saying, Jesus, come quickly. And then it's it's getting busy on the mission he's called us to, to be his witnesses. Jesus is coming back. We also have reassurance here. He's coming back in the same way he left. Why? Jesus is alive. He's not dead. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's empowered us for witness. And we can be sure he'll continue to empower us for witness. When? Till the ends of the age. Remember in Matthew 28. Lo, will be with you always to the, when? To, to the end of the age. How would Jesus be with us? Through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, through the enabling of the Holy Spirit, through the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so we can trust that he's going to be with us to the end of the age and he will return. Although it seems like a long time coming, he has purposed a time when he will return and he's given us a mission to go and be his witnesses to the ends of the earth trusting he has a time he's fixed we don't have to be worried when it's going to happen how it's going to happen but we can be sure it will happen he will come back just like he departed us and in the meanwhile we can be filled with the holy spirit not just a conversion but like the disciples filled with the holy spirit why why were they filled with the spirit continually they were continually filled with the spirit to be empowered for mission we need to be continually filled with the spirit to be empowered for mission We've been given a command. We've been given a commission to go and make disciples, to be witnesses of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And because this command has not been completed by his disciples yet, this command is continuing. This assignment is not just theirs. This assignment is ours. This has implications for our mission as a church, doesn't it? We're called to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. We're called to be on his mission and his purposes. And how do we do that? We're called to do that empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, we're empowered initially by the Holy Spirit when we're made alive and we continually have the Holy Spirit in us and with us, enabling us. But at the same time, we're to rely on the empowering of the Spirit and we're to seek to be filled with the Spirit. Elsewhere in Scripture, this is command to be filled with the Spirit. It's an ongoing command to seek to be filled. So it's not just a once and done. This is, it occurs at conversion, but then we need to constantly be filled with the Spirit. If you're weak, if you're weary, if you're dry, if you're wondering why you're having struggles and difficulties, I think, we, I think we need the Holy Spirit. We need to be empowered afresh with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given to enable disciples to carry out their assignment. Don't we need the Holy Spirit to? To carry out the assignment he's called us to? I'm gonna share with you one more quote from the late Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. One end here. I love it by the way. He is a wonderful Presbyterian brother who we just I love what he writes about the Holy Spirit. And he says, Do you believe in revival, my friend? Are you praying for revival? These are good questions for us. Do you believe in revival, my friend? Are you praying for revival? What are you trusting? These are questions we need to ask ourselves. Are you trusting the organizing power of the church? Please don't. (laughs) He didn't say that. I did. Are are you trusting the organizing power of the church? Or are you trusting the power of God to pour out his spirit upon us again? That's what we need to be trusting in. To revive us. To baptize us. To anew and refresh us with his most blessed Holy Spirit. The church needs another Pentecost. Every revival, he says, is a repetition of Pentecost. Every revival is a repetition of Pentecost. And it's the greatest need of the Christian church at this present hour. The greatest need of the Christian church at this present hour is for the filling, the reviving, the baptizing of the Holy Spirit to empower us to be his witnesses so that question is it's relevant for us today as a church. I want us to really consider this. I want us to be challenged by the book of Acts. I want us to be challenged by these scriptures. And if you're struggling with this, I want you to go back and study the scriptures. Let's talk about it. Let's dialogue. But, but I want you to see the work of the Holy Spirit. And this question is relevant for us today it says, do you believe in revival, my friend? Are you praying for revival? What are you trusting? And, and if, if nothing else, let that be an application for you. What are you trusting? Whose power are you trusting? Are you trusting the organizing power of the church? Your own power, are you trusting in the enabling power of the Holy Spirit? And are you asking God to pour out a spirit upon us again to revive us, to baptize us anew, to refresh us with his most blessed Holy Spirit? Church, we, we need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit to empower us for our mission. the promise of the power from on high to be his witnesses, that was not just a promise that was for the first disciples. It was a promise that he would pour out his spirit on all flesh. It's a promise until until his, his witness was carried out, until his mission was fulfilled. That promise of the Holy Spirit is given to us and we need the empowering of the Holy Spirit today. So, church, let's ask for the Father to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit to pour out a Spirit, to clothe us, to fill us with a Spirit so we can be empowered to be witnesses of Jesus wherever we go. i to ask the band to go ahead and come forward. I wanna sing the song, God Undefeatable. If you'll stand, please, it'd be great. Good and stand as they're coming up. Let's worship God together. What's important to see here is that God is not defeated. Jesus is alive and one day he will return and he is the undefeatable God who will enable us and empower us to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your holy word. I pray that you would challenge us. Lord, I pray that you would convict us. I pray that you would give us a fresh desire to be filled with your Holy Spirit. That we would seek to be filled that we rely on your empowering and enabling, that we would see that we don't have the power to be your witnesses on our own, but just like the early disciples and apostles needed your empowering, so do we. And God, I pray that we would cry out, that we would look to you in hope, knowing that you're gonna sustain us and empower us until you return. In Jesus' name, amen.